Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello listeners, Tim Sylvie here, and I'm delighted that after missing a couple of episodes, Tom is back with me today. Life feels complete again. I no longer feel oh. alone and vulnerable, which is all the more important at this Christmas time of the year. Tom, where have you been and what have you been doing? I've been, you know, helping out Santa, you know, stocking oh. up his sleigh for Christmas. So um, it's been a busy time of year for me. Um, that is <laughs> Look, end of season is funnily enough the busiest period because you're reflecting on the whole f1 season so there's a yeah. few kind of good videos that, that need to be made so um but that's good to be back mate good no it's lovely to have you back well shall i introduce today's guest do it uh so if you like watches and you like racing do not go anywhere because today we're joined by a man i've admired and followed for a very long time shami kalra might not be a familiar name to all of you but if you're into racing and you happen to love watches then it's highly likely you'll know his brand shami founded Amologato in 2015 and has gone from strength to strength creating stunning motorsport orientated timepieces from the beautiful blue panamericana to the blue and white dial of the heritage racing piece and the lovely Le Mans 59 the choice of watches is overwhelming and trust me there are some incredible designs in there we're here to chat to shami to find out about his live thoughts career and opinions and of course hear the remarkable story behind Amologato watches shami welcome to the motormouth podcast how are you uh, uh firstly thank you for inviting me on pleasure Tim. Not, you know doing stuff like this You've just done the introduction. I'm thinking, who are you talking about? And you're talking about me. So um, thank you for inviting me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure. Shabby, where are you, where are you uh, dialing in from today? I mean, I'm assuming from that logo in your background, this isn't your bathroom. Not the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> it's the top of the bed. <laughs> no, I'm in the office today. Um, yeah, in Windsor. So, yeah. Lovely Windsor. Great place near the castle, actually. It's wonderful. Brilliant. Very nice. Now, Shami, take us back right to the start. What was Little Shami like? What was childhood? Um, and and when did cars, because I know that, you know, we're here to talk about watches, yes, but cars is a big part of your life as well. When did cars first come on your radar? Uh, okay, I don't know exactly the age, but I have some key memories in my head. Uh, my dad was a car guy. So he came over from India in 1965. Um, he couldn't get a job. So he started washing cars. 
um, at the local dealership. I think it was Amersham or somewhere like that. And as he started washing them, he started falling in love with them, et cetera, et cetera. So, and, I, and I've got a couple of photographs of him with an E-type Jaguar, which I'm sure he borrowed. I'm not sure he bought it because uh, it was only four years after he arrived here, but he had an E-type Jaguar. And then he um, had an early Mercedes, I think in 71 or 72. I, I was born in 70. And my earliest memory of falling in love with cars was when my dad took me over to the Mercedes garage in 19, 1980 to Cinder to go and pick up this Mercedes when I was 10 years old. And it was like arriving at, you know, Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. Mm-hmm. It was like, wow. Because you see them on the road. And actually, they were very rare back then. Everyone, not many people had um, uh, Mercedes. So, um, so to go over to Sindelfingen and then take the drive back through Arkham and through the, I think it was Belgium or something that we came back through. That, uh, that was my earliest memory. But cars have played a massive part. And then one of my uncles was a, was a dealer. And he always had the latest, whatever it was, it was the latest. Of, and they were all German cars as well. So I don't have any memories of Ford Capris or Cortinas. They were always early Golf GTIs or 450 SELs and SLs and all that kind of stuff. And the and I remember my one of my uncles got a um, Porsche in 1982 and or 83 and 944. Seeing that on the road was like seeing a spaceship. So that's when I was 10 to 13 years old. And then the first car I bought, I bought it in a card game with my uncle who had a little bit too much to drink. <laughs> I bought a, a 1972 Beetle with a sunroof, a winding sunroof, uh, for a quid. Oh, a winding sunroof. <laughs> a you, quid. I, I've forgotten about winding sunroofs, and that is I a steel one. sunroof on this thing, which, looking back on it now, that's as rare as hell, right? Yeah. Especially when you're looking at Beetle. So it had a winding sunroof, and uh, I bought it for a pound. I must have been wow. 12 years old. And I remember going to a spray paint shop and buying spray paint and literally spraying it the next day because I wanted it in black. It was in the navy blue. And I spray painted it black. So, yeah, I've always always had a a lovely relationship with anything with four wheels. It doesn't have to be exotic. It just has to have emotion attached to it. And I, you know, so, yeah, I I talk about it a lot. and, um, And I have cars now which I'm sort of going through my, what my wife has called a proper midlife crisis. (laughs) <laughs> but I'm choosing cars that I that I couldn't afford when I was younger. So I want to get them out of my system and say, right, I've done that, I've done that, I've done... Sometimes they're disappointing. Most of the time, it's just wonderful. You feel 18 again, you know? So, um, yeah, that, so that's my early life. Um, and then when racing came into it when I was about 15, um, when I was introduced to my first Formula One race on TV. Um, I remember asking about... I don't know how many questions to the guy who introduced me to it. Then I went down to Brands Hatch. Um, I couldn't afford a Coke. I couldn't afford a hamburger. You know, all that kind of stuff. And um, But I was there, and I was really happy to be there. And then, yeah, so that's my early sort of four-wheel falling in love with stuff, you know what I mean? So, yeah. So you studied at London School of Fashion, but yeah. was there always a... Like, was there ever a desire at that early stage to to go down a you know, motorsport engineering level? No. Or like, how, how, how were you able to kind of bring those two worlds together? Well, I, I studied design. Um, and I went to the London College of Fashion because it was one of the things to do back in the late 80s. Fashion was a big thing. I rebelled against my dad who had a really successful business. And I was literally just talking to someone about it now. The guy who bought the business, I think his turnover is 
gazillion a year and he used to support his son a Ferrari. And I'm thinking, I said no to that. <laughs> anyway, so I, I rebelled and I went to the London College of Fashion, uh, but I studied design. So design, it, it covers everything, whether you're looking at the design of a car, design of a building, design of a, I don't know, um, a, a drinks bottle, et cetera, et cetera. Design is really, always has been really important to me. Was it uh, industrial design that you did? Or no, no, this is clothing design. This was okay. the design and construction and, and basically, you know, what we're wearing today, there's hardly any designer. They're just classic, right? You put a hoodie on or you put a jumper on, you're done. Whereas the construction behind some of the most amazing, um, um, have you heard of Yoji Yamamoto? Mm-hmm. Why so three? Yeah, I did Amazing ask. things with fabrics uh, in the early 90s and constri- trying to learn how he did that design and construct it really engulfed me. And so I tried to do a lot of Yamamoto stuff. And then Thierry Mugler was another one who experimented. You might remember Madonna with um, with a sort of like a, a bust on, but it, it had car mirrors on there. Oh no, that wasn't Madonna. It was another. It was another model. Madonna was the uh, the cones with uh, Jean Paul Gaultier. So there was a lot of design, construction, and all that kind of stuff. And that that that's what intrigued me more than anything. Yeah. Actually, Claudia Schiffer did it. So well, I mean, it. Th- those those design elements would would obviously come back and and revisit you in later life when when we move on to the watches. But I want to just quickly touch on cars a little bit more because before we get into it, a really quick message. This show has grown into something far bigger than we ever imagined. It's been a huge honor to chat with F1 world champions like Nico Rosberg, legends like Mario Andretti, Jodie Schechter, and Gerhard Berger. People right at the top of the sport like the brilliant Gunter Steiner and current stars like Alex Albon, Lucas Degrassi, and Tatiana Kolaron. It really is a privilege. But without you, we wouldn't be able to continue. And without sponsors, we couldn't bring you the stories from the inner workings of the sport we all love. With that in mind, I'm over the moon to have F1 Experiences back with us to support the show for season 13. It's really important to us that we align with brands that are relevant and can add value to you. F1 Experiences is the official experience, hospitality and travel program of Formula One. And it's the closest thing you can get to the pinnacle of motorsport. You can book with them today. With F1 Experiences official ticket packages coming direct from Formula One, you can get unique access that simply isn't available anywhere else. For more information on how you can book your F1 Experience, visit f1experiences.com, where you can also save 5% on your very own F1 Experience package by using the code MMPODCAST when checking out online. Good things come to those who listen to the Motormouth Podcast. Don't say we don't treat you well. So, what are you waiting for? The 2023 F1 season will be here before you know it, so go get booking your F1 experience today with f1experiences.com. I read somewhere that you've owned something like 15 different Porsche cars, um, which is an unbelievable statistic. I've seen on social media the one you drive now. That is a hell of a machine, and I've got a newfound respect for these cars because just yesterday I was at the Hockenheim Ring driving um, a selection of Porsches around the track, and I've never sat in a Porsche before in the driver's seat, and I was completely blown away i drove the uh, a 911 don't tell me ask me what sort and um a um uh, a taycan um both were amazing but the 911 just completely blew me away so i can understand but what is it for you that is so special about those cars i've owned 28 porsches 28 
28. About 28. Oh, right. This vows live with a dream. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Although some of, one of the money cost me 1,500 quid. Um, but I've had 28 over the years. And, uh, wow. It doesn't matter what they cost. They're all just, you know, the, the emotion is more important than the price tag of anything. I had a Fiat Panda, a 100-horsepower Fiat Panda, which cost me 1,500 quid. And I went all the way down to Devon. This is only four years ago. Because I always wanted to own a Fiat Panda 100 horsepower. So it's never about the price tag. It's always about the emotion for me and what it does for you. So, um, I, Tim, I've forgotten the original question now. Sorry, what did you say? <laughs> uh, I, I guess what it is about the about the Porsches, because, you know, they, they are special machines. They, they do carry a certain thing about them. Um, their engineering is top-notch. But what, why so many Porsches? What's drawn you to that brand over over others? Okay, so what I love about Porsche, I love their inclusiveness. And to me, the, the word exclusive makes my stomach churn. And I'll, I'll explain later why. But the inclusiveness, if you wanted a Porsche today, Tim, and you said, right, I'm going to go and own, a, own something of that brand, chances are, if, you, you know, if, if you've got a job and all the rest, you can go and buy yourself a Porsche. You can get one for five grand. Yeah. And, and you're, you're in, Right. You can go and get one for two thousand. I've seen some at ten thousand, which are absolutely brilliant. So the inclusiveness and almost the democracy of that brand, I think it's brilliant because they're one step up from a Volkswagen or an Audi or whatever. I know some of their list prices now have gone through the roof for, for the special ones, and collectors have gone crazy for them. But even when you get into a Porsche which costs two hundred and fifty grand, it doesn't feel that much different to something that might cost twenty or thirty thousand. So I love I love the democracy of the brand, and I think that that's why I've been very loyal to it uh, for years. And and also you have you build up relationships with people who own it and or own them, and sorry, and also the dealers that you deal with. So and and I don't know about you, but I love buying off people. So I you know if you've got a good person selling a product, and you make a you have a relationship, I love buying off people. Yeah. You know, it's, I don't I wouldn't just walk into another dealership. Mm. You know. Uh, unless there's somebody that I know there and we've got a good rapport and you know, oh, actually, I want to buy something from you. And I think to a certain extent, that's what my brand, if people like what we're doing, I'm very accessible on social media. I'm very accessible wherever. People like buying off people. And, and that, that's what Porsche did for me for many years. So I like so, buying so, off Porsche people. So go on then. If, if you could own, you're only allowed one, you're only allowed one of your Porsches for the rest of your life, which one are you picking? The one that I've got now. It's stunning, which is a... <laughs> I've got 32. a 2018 4-litre GT3. And they call it the Club Sport spec. Um, so it's manual. Um, and they have... I mean, it's it, every time I drive it, I just come out of it without breaking any speed limits because that's the other secret. <laughs> well done. Good caveat. Yeah. <laughs> you have a, do you have a little thing that goes underneath? No, no limits were broken. <laughs> no, I mean, I took it to Imola recently. I, I sponsor Imola and Pietro, who runs the place, said, why don't you bring some of your guests or some of your customers down and we'll give you the track for the day. Just don't break it. And I took that my my car, the one that I love, onto the track at Imola. And I did, I don't know how many laps we did, but it was just, it just made me feel alive. And, it makes you feel alive driving on the M4 with cruise control on. So it's a wonderful sensation. It really is. Yeah. And the newer ones, 
and the more expensive ones don't do it for me. And I have driven the newer ones and they don't do it for me. That's interesting. So I, I mean, I've only, that was my first experience of driving a car like that. And they were relatively new, but they had on the, they had, on this uh, bottom right of the steering wheel on these, and I don't know whether this is normal in Porsche, but they had, uh, it was in normal mode. And then I turned it one notch into sport mode and then turned it another notch into sport. Yeah, Sport Plus or Super Sports, and my God, they, they, that just turned it in from a really fast car into a ridiculous car. Um, yes. And I couldn't believe it. After four laps, he was like, "Go on, then switch switch it off, switch it across to um, to the the big big boy Sport mode." And the noise went up, and the the, the downshifts were popping and banging. Oh my fucking insane! A lot of interesting electronics in those stuff. Did you press the button in the middle? No, I didn't dare press anything. <laughs> 20 seconds of overtaking speed oh, wow. it literally sets the car up takes it down two gears uh, i think it stiffens the suspension and it gives you 20 seconds of boost so you can overtake uh, it, it's an overtake button really yeah but yeah. i think people just use it for the sake of it because they want to go faster quicker yeah. Uh, but yeah if you press the button in the middle that would have really i don't know what you were driving but it really would have scared you because it literally goes from a sort of um, driving at 50, 60% doing almost 100% immediately. Yeah. I'd, I wish I knew what it was because I, I just know it's a 911. I'm not a, I don't know my Porsches. It's really bad. My friend Darren knows them all. And, um, yeah. but I, I'm appalling with it. But let, let's turn our attention to motorsport, Formula One. Yeah. You obviously are a fan. What do you make of the current era? I'm very critical of it. Um, and I've got, like you, we all know people who are involved with it and what have you. Um, I think the new regulations are wonderful. I think the new fans that have come in are wonderful. Suddenly, you know, there's a whole a sea of people who are coming in. I just hope they don't carry on scrolling in a couple of years, um, it, you know, to another sport because we've got to keep them in there. Um, my son, who grew up with me, doesn't like cars which I wanted to get a DNA test out of, actually. <laughs> After the, the obvious online uh, documentaries that they did, he suddenly became a fan of it again yeah. because personalities came alive. We know that it's edited to make it look, you know, more political and more hype than it actually is. But it's nice that they brought in a new... But the thing is, there are, there are a bunch of old gits like me who like the purity of it. They don't like the politics. They just want to get on with how did the race go? And if the one thing that upsets me about this this era of Formula One, and it's probably because the technology's there, if you look at the um, uh, the abuse on social media that the that the drivers get, um, the present presenters get, the teams get, it really upsets me because we're all here to enjoy one thing. And if it was taken away from us. We'd all be sitting there really, really upset. But I don't, I don't like that online um, social media stuff that's happening with it. It really is quite upsetting to read. Obviously, we, we disagree with a lot of things. And I hope we all disagree with LBW last year. So the integrity of the sport has been taken away. You and I, we, we've all invested in the integrity. We all know the rules. When someone pulls the mat from underneath you and says, actually, you don't actually matter and your opinions don't matter. We're going to do what we want it takes away our belief in what we're doing. So I think last year, not that they've admitted it, but that lack of integrity and taking away the integrity from the sport really upset me. But that has now fueled all this online abuse. And I think, I wish the FIA would just tweet, we're really sorry about whatever. 
this shouldn't have happened. We know Michael Massey's gone, but the reason he's gone because every human makes a mistake. You've made a mistake. I've made mistakes, right? But you've got to admit to them, and you've got to admit to it quickly. The fact the FIA didn't take charge of that situation and admit and apologize, it's the easiest thing to do. But I reckon the reason they didn't apologize is because there's loads of lawsuits in the background that would have happened if they did apologize. So maybe that's why they left it open. But they, there's such an open-ended uh, argument that they haven't closed, and they're the only people that can close it. So those are the two elements that I don't like about the sport. However, on the flip side of it, I love the interaction. I love the access. I love Lewis Hamilton's social media. I love Pierre Gasly. Vettel even came onto Instagram. You know, we've got access to our heroes. I mean, who'd imagine... Well, Mick Hacken does a lot now online, but imagine when he was racing against Schumacher. <laughs> that, that debrief that we could have got as fans, it would have been amazing. So the first thing I used to do when I watched a race straight onto Planet F1 or wherever I was getting my information from. I couldn't wait. You know, uh, Ross Braun, I think it was 2000, 2003 Malaysia when they had problems with the end plates and Schumacher was disqualified and we were all waiting to see whether he could, whether he was going to win or not win or whatever. Mm. Those few hours were wonderful. Imagine if we had social media back then where we could get up-to-the-minute news. So I think we're living in a wonderful era but I'm afraid there are a few things where the integrity's disappeared and yeah. we need that back. We need it, it back. We it's, it's definitely it's definitely a, a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because again, you speak on you know controversial moments, whether it's you know Senna Prost at Suzuka, whether it was you know Schumacher Villeneuve, Schumacher um like uh Damon Hill as well. Like yeah. I, I feel like it, it's very hard to measure, isn't it? Like the sport is a has a way more general fan base than it ever has in the past, but also the toxicity and the, the the polarization that comes with sport, I think, has always existed. It's just now that everyone, you know, anyone, can just set up a Twitter account, faceless, and just spew out anything without even, you know, having to have that human interaction. Now, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know really where because the, the thing is, I don't see it's got to a stage now where it's it's just going to be part of things going forward now because you've got a lot of people who are only interested in peddling their narrative from their point of view, regardless of whether they actually agree with it or not. And I just don't know what the solution is. That's the thing. That, that, well, the that's thing the kind of sad thing about it. solution is not to let these people get away with it. When I started my brand, I think it was about six months in, the amount of trolls that I got, and I, I'd never had trolls before because my Twitter mm. account wasn't big, company didn't exist. I wasn't, I mean, I, I'm a watch salesman. I, I'm a, that's all I do. I sell watches. I love motorsport. There were people who were coming online um, literally just abusing me. Oh, it's crap. I've got a Rolex. I've got this. I've got. Fair enough, you've got a Rolex. Everyone wants to you know, aspire to the top in any industry sort of thing. But a lot of guys can't afford that kind of stuff. So what about them? So that was my argument. But then as I interacted with these, with these guys having an argument or, or, or trolling me, it got worse and worse because you're fueling the fire. That's what they want, yeah. And then, I'll tell you what changed it for me. I was sitting with a couple of these Sky F1 commentators and, a, and an ex-Formula 1 driver in a coffee shop, and I was really down reading my phone, and it was, I won't say what they were saying, but it wasn't very nice, and it was all rude words and all that rubbish. And they said, what's up with you? I said, oh, I'm getting a whole load of trolls. And they went, yeah, I get trolls all the time. You're a crap commentator. What do you know about Formula One? And I went, that's pretty bad. But read this one. Your watches are crap. You are rubbish. And they're like, because none of mine's worse. Hold on. You're crap. <laughs> <laughs> right. Comparing notes. Hey, mate, no, my trolls are worse than your <laughs> trolls. 
And in the end, this sort of euphoric at the end of it, we all started laughing and thinking, this is hilarious. And it was a literal, it was a click. Mm. Come at me, man, because I'm enjoying it. I need the fuel to go to everybody else and say, I've got worse trolls than you have. And it really, that, that moment, I think it was 2017, it just changed everything for me. And I thought, actually, these, these people are wonderful because they're giving me fuel to, to sort of, well, they, they, they made me laugh. And in the end, I was laughing. It was hysterical. You know, um, you're too old to be on TV. What the bloody hell do you know? <laughs> oh, That's weird. You know, you out loud and you're not sitting, you know, one Tuesday evening, it's raining, things haven't gone so great, you're feeling vulnerable. And some guy goes and says something to you. That that's a very I mean, we're all human, we all bleed. So when somebody says something and you allow that to happen, then then it, it gets you. So it doesn't matter what but when you're in a forum like this and we're talking about it, it actually is hilarious, you know? Um one one guy even set up a Twitter account which looked like mine, which went to mail porn. Oh, fantastic. Thought, Dude, how sad do you have to be? How what how lonely are you? <laughs> But you have to do that. So, yeah, it, it was funny. So now whenever I see a troll, I just, I, I'm in. I love it because it gives me fuel because I'm coming for you, man. It's I'm a, not going to allow you to say that. It's a minefield. Um, it's a total minefield out there. And and, and, you, and you've got to be so careful what you say. I mean, I, I got caught out the other day because um, we, we had uh, an interview with uh, Ariana Bravo and um, we were chatting about diversity and inclusion. And... Sh and I made the mistake of saying uh, female, not woman, which I didn't know was a thing. So I've got to educate myself here. And 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 the person that called me out on it, actually, I'm going to, we're having on the show. She's coming on the podcast. I haven't told you this yet, Tom, but um, she, she's going to come on the show and we're going to, we're going to dive into it. But um, I got firmly put in my place for using the word female, um, which was new to me. So, I, you know, I've got to go, I've got to go away and learn about that one and get up to speed because... That was a new one on me. Um, Tim, there's a whole association called Females in Motorsport. I know. So, okay, well, I'm going to watch that one because I need to be educated. I, I, I go, didn't realise... Go and have that. a look at uh, our, our Twitter and the, the the post we put on about Ariana and and you'll see some of the comments. It's it's interesting. It's very interesting. Um, Fair enough. I mean, you know, we're, we're living in a world now where we've got to be really careful. Yeah. Um, which is quite right also because, you know... For far too many years, people got away with whatever they wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and we've got, to, we've got to catch up. I mean, I don't know how old you are. I'm 52. I've got to catch up. Um, and I play catch up the whole time. Yeah. No, it's, it's difficult. And, and, and I guess that's part of it as well. Like, these conversations are going out to the world, anyone. Like, these are the potential touch points is to, you know, pretty much, you know, most of the, the 8 billion people in the world potentially yeah. through some way. So that's the thing as well. Like, you... You speak on things and you don't know how those words can be perceived and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. There's there's a lot of nuance to it that goes beyond, you know, the three of us sat here having a conversation. Totally. Because there's, there's a whole audience. It's like we're sat having this conversation in front of an audience of potentially thousands, but we can't see them. Yeah, it's weird. Well, we, 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 me and Tom have talked about this quite a lot on the podcast with, with different people. Um, but you, you do have to be so careful. But equally, you don't want to have to watch what you say, um, which is why I wanted to get this individual on and talk about it with us, or particularly with me, because I, I want I want to understand. But I also w want the opportunity to push back if I don't agree without being vilified. So, you know, we'll see what happens. It's going to be no, an interesting one. Is, I'll tell you what, ownership of your mistakes is such an important thing. Yeah. 
you feel like this is a mistake, what you've done to invite her on is fantastic because you've owned it. Yeah. It's when people don't own what they've done wrong or they don't want to learn something. They're the ones who generally in life won't do so well. Yeah. So uh, you to own it. Whatever you've done, own it. It's uh, we'll see we'll see what pans out. But let's turn our attention back to you and watches. Now I love watches. I'm obsessed with watches. And um, I, the one I have on my wrist is my Pride and Joy, my uh, Omega Speedmaster, which I love. What was the first watch you ever owned? A very quick interruption to the show to remind you to check out our sponsors at F1 Experiences. F1 Experiences offer a wide range of packages that come direct from Formula One, giving you a unique experience of the pinnacle of motorsport. Official ticket packages come with the very best race tickets, first-class hotels and transfers, and unprecedented access, including driver appearances, private pit lane walks, behind-the-scenes tours of the illustrious F1 paddock, team garages, the famous podium, and loads more. It's the closest you can get to Formula One, and thanks to F1 Experiences, Motormouth listeners can get 5% off your next F1 Experiences package by using the code MM podcast when booking online at f1experiences.com uh i was 12 years old and my dad bought me or was it 13 12 13 um a seiko uh, it was a seiko chronograph i'm afraid i don't have a reference number but if i did i'd go out and try and buy one because i don't know where that watch has gone uh but i really want to own it again i, I love seikos i've always loved seikos um uh, and what they've done over the years. I don't know how many thousands of models they've made over the years. It was black IP plate. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So metal strap, black IP plated, um, three dials, um, uh, royal blue needles, and gold um, seconds hand. A chronograph hand. So it was, the, and if I can find it, and I've spoken to watch specialists and described it exactly as I've described now, and I've said to them, can you go and find it for me? And nobody seems to know what I'm talking about. So I hope it wasn't a fake. Thanks, <laughs> 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 Dad. <laughs> Bless him, wherever you are. Um, but no, that was my first watch, and that, that's where I fell in love with watches. And then I had Casio's. Um, and then my first proper watch, I've actually got it here. My wife, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, bought me a Tag Heuer Series 2000. You can nice. see that. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. That was a watch that was really popular in, um, let me think, 1990. And this was a watch that was also awarded to the Indy 500 winners. So if you won the Indy 500, and a friend of mine came second in the Indy 500, 
Uh, he's got exactly the same watch, but he's got a different uh, dial on it, which says Indy 500 top three. So, um, yeah, so Tag Heuer was really important to me back in the early 80s. Uh, sorry, early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. And then I bought a Breitling. So I had a Breitling for a few years. I've still got it here. Um, I have my own private collection of other brands because I, I love buying from other brands. One of my favorites, though, is Swatch. Yeah. Again, that inclusiveness. I love it. Um, what they did this year with the Amiga was yeah, wonderful. I thought swatch. that was really good. They brought the whole they brought the whole world alive with falling in love with that. But but I have I have about fifty watches of other brands as a private collection. Yeah. And I and I'm adding to it all the time. Yeah, it's it's a it's a fun industry. I love it. I, I just I find it fascinating. The, the 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 engineering of some of the watches, especially from the light sort of, I know they're a different world in terms of price, but some of the Patek watches and and the the engineering that goes on inside them is ridiculous. Now you, you founded a Moligato in 2015. Um, yeah. You talked about exclusivity and inclusivity in terms of price points with with the cars. I suppose it, there's a similar thinking with the watches. You know, your your watches are not to to price people out; they're they're to price people in. Is I presumably that was your thinking. Uh, so the thinking came from a, again. It's one of those life moments where you never forget. I went to the Silverstone Grand Prix. Um, my wife, we spent three months worth of Tesco's grocery money to buy these two tickets for my son and I to go and watch the F1. Uh, I think it was 1999, I was 29 years old. And I thought I'd get to meet Schumacher, I thought I'd get to meet Mika Hakkinen. Everywhere I went, I was saying, no, I was told, no, you can't come in, your ticket's not this, not this, not this. You could only go and sit at, I think we were at Beckett's or something, the Silverstone. The hamburgers were so expensive, Coke was expensive. My son had the hamburger. And I had nothing. I was just looking for water all day. I came back. And I was so disheartened. This is my sport, right? And I got there, and they didn't—they didn't include me in anything. So it was really upsetting. So that feeling in my head: What about the guys who can't afford the VIP? What about the guys who can't afford two grand tickets? What about the guys who can't afford Targoyers at seven grand or six grand? The guys who, if they had four grand spare, they wouldn't go and buy a watch. They'd go buy another race car or a set of tires or a new engine or something. The whole industry had forgotten about those people. And they'd forgotten about me, 29-year-old me. And that was upsetting. Mm. And it upset me. And it, and it still upsets me today. So it's turning now because everyone's thinking, oh, we've got, to, we've got to include more people. And, you know, the inclusiveness with all sorts of different groups who were previously excluded, now they, they want to include them. But that's only a recent thing. For the last 20, 30 years... Formula One was exclusive. They only wanted your money. And if you had more money than anybody, you're more welcome. And that's wrong. So when I started the brand, I thought, why can't somebody buy a motorsport watch for £250, which is what my first starting point was. So I came up with two designs um, with motorsport livery. Um, and I put them up for sale. Um, and they sold well. And the rest is, is sort of, you know, the rest is history. But People engage with it straight away. And if you look at my list of customers, I've got some customers who could actually buy the company on their credit card. But one guy who won a championship in 2003 in Imola, as soon as we introduced the Imola watch, he said, I've got to have number, whatever it was, two of them, this number, that number, because they were his race uh, racing numbers. He bought them nice. because he said, I've, I've won the championship. I've got to have that watch. I've got to have those two watches. Like I said, he could have bought the company 
with his credit card, you know. And then we have the Surtees watch, and then the Derek Bells. And but like I said, the register. Sometimes you see names that pop up, and you think, no, really. It's it's wonderful because it, we've democratized owning a motorsport watch, and and that's important. That to me is really important. So yeah, that's beautiful. That's where the brand so, is. I wanted to ask about those those first two watches because how did you like? There's such a massive variety of iconic motorsport liveries from all different disciplines, not just F1. How did you come across the the, the two liveries and what were they that you took inspiration for for those first two watches? Okay, so the first two liveries that I took were probably the two obvious ones. Um, let, let me backtrack a little bit. On June the fifth, two thousand fifteen which was a Friday, I had £9.61 in the bank. I had nothing. We were broke because what I was doing before was, wasn't working. So um, I knew I wanted to do my own brand. I knew it probably possibly would be an expensive thing to do. So I started doing it. And, um, uh, and so I thought the two obvious liveries would be the Martini one and the Gulf. So I, I literally just put these liveries on a dial played around with it. I'm not good at Photoshop. So my ideas come on a piece of paper and then I've got guys behind me who do the Photoshop. So I said to this guy, go away and do put these stripes and put these colors on these dials. He came back on the Monday morning and I thought, bloody hell, I'd buy that. I'd have it in a heartbeat. <laughs> so I, I set up a website via Shopify, which oh, you probably know that you can, it takes you 20 minutes to set up a website. You get one month's free trial. And if it doesn't work, you close it down again sort of thing. Um, website went live on Tuesday, so I'm down to less than £9.61 now. We're really broke. Um, Thursday evening, I did my first sale at 7.36pm. Uh, it was um, 700 quid. It was like winning the bloody lottery. I bet. And an hour That's later, amazing. another 500 quid. An hour later, we, by the, within 24 hours, about Thursday, so Thursday evening to Friday evening, I took a grand. No, no, sorry, £1,500. And then within 10 days, we took £10,000. Wow. So it was, and then within 90 days, I think I took, um, yeah, within three months, we took, we took £90,000. So what I thought as a fan that would be quite yeah. cool to sell, obviously there were other fans out there, and when they saw the price, they couldn't believe it because all motorsport watches were a few thousand, yeah. but they weren't affordable. That, that, that is like, I love that because you like identified this sleeping giant of a potential audience for a business. And it was like you said, it's simple. It's you know, slapping some colors and, and a livery on, on some watches, like fundamentally. Yeah. And yet straight away, you've, you've launched something that. I love that, man. And, and you know, as well, I, I think it's so nice. We were chatting about this a little bit before we started recording, like being able to support someone like you, who you've got this small independent business versus these huge multinational you know, Rolex, Tag Heuer, Philip Patek, whoever, you know, it's such a refreshing, like you say, angle, not just from a um, from a price point of view, but also from a, a story point of view, because like you say, you're, you're buying more from a from a person, from an individual, you put yourself so kind of front and center in the brand. And I think that's what, like you said, that's such a USP relative to what on the face of it, you'd think, oh, if you're going to jump in and start a watch brand related to motorsport, Oh, there's so many, like, there's so much, um, there's so many others out there doing it. You'd think, oh, that's that's crazy, but but uh, clearly not. People weren't doing it back then. They were only doing the six grand watch. They were doing Swiss. Yeah. They were doing all sorts of things. My, my watches are made in Japan. Um, so we grew from that idea, and then I started adding on to it because 
Um, so I, I've been making watches since I was 23 years old with the same guy. So 30 years next year. Wow. You know, you need money to start a watch. I mean, you can't just say, can I have some watches? I'll buy 20 of you. Manufacturers <laughs> want, you know, hundreds potentially. And then you've got to pay up front. So I had no money. But what happened was the guy who'd been making watches for me because I was supplying other brands. So for instance, if Laudy won at Le Mans on a Sunday, they'd phone us up on a Monday and say, can we make 100 watches? And I'd make it with their branding. And I had loads of brands, Goodyear and Michelin and all the rest of it. But other people saw that I was doing that. And if I was charging, let's say, 200 pounds a watch, to come in and say, oh, we'll do it for 190. And so you get some buyer who's 21 years old who's tasked with getting the best price from God knows where, and it doesn't matter who. Uh, and so the price came down and down, and that's, and that's why when I started, I didn't admit to myself in the beginning that the business was suffering, previous business was suffering. Um, but yeah, that that bad situation pushed me into a really tight place, which mm. has really grown. So it's wonderful. So it's one, amazing how adversity, what, what's the necessity is the mother of all invention? Is that what they say? Is that right? Yeah. It was blood necessity because we had no food in that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Either make a watch or don't. Let's say your your business before had stayed stayed at a comfortable level and hadn't struggled. You might have might never be where you are now. No. So because other people were attacking my business and sort of undercutting what I was doing and making products that I've made, I've made money over the years. But um, yeah, if they didn't come for me, then I wouldn't have gone to this. So it was it was literally being pushed into the corner. How do I survive this? They're all they're going to come and eat me. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> well, you, I but, but you you have survived and you flourished, and and here you are with uh, with a seriously nice Porsche, and everything's looking well in the world. What's the future hold? I mean, will you ever sell the business because it's becoming quite an investable beast? We have filed our accounts in September this year for twenty twenty one. I independently have gone through every single British watch manufacturer and no one makes as much money as us. Wow. You'll be surprised. Some of the big brands who turn over millions lose millions and they have done consistently for the last 10, 12 years. If I lost even a tenth of that million, I'd lose my house. Right? <laughs> you know, so that's how basic the, the economics of the business are. Um, so we are now, not verified, but we are the most profitable British watch brand. We make money. On the flip side of that, and, and I want to, and I want to put this on this podcast because at the time I was quite upset about it. We've just had an investigation, two-month investigation by HMRC, right? They said from last year's accounts, we we don't believe how much money you're spending on sponsorship and giving money away. Businesses just don't do that. Mm -hmm. So they did an eight-week investigation. They they went through everything to see whether. I'd love to know how to clean up money, but they thought we were cleaning up money, which is it's funny telling you this now, right? Um, and you might think, oh, God, where the hell is he going with this conversation? <laughs> it shouldn't be public. But they came back eight weeks later after thousands of pounds worth of accountancy fees trying to show them what we did. Two lines. We've never seen so much profit being given away to, to motorsport. We're now concluding the investigation. We're satisfied with, our, with everything. Wow. So we had an independent crazy. verification, right? That not only do I live motorsport, but I support it. And I and I use the hashtag supporting the sport a lot. A lot of people just think I, I stand at a racetrack, stick a watch up and pretend that I'm doing it. But the inland revenue have done an independent verification. 
So it's a good news story now. I mean, they've kind of done you a favour. I, I mean, <laughs> you know, now that that's... The best market you can ask for. Yeah. I mean, now that that's out there, that's good because I think people probably do look at the brand and go, what is going on here? Like, how is this guy doing this? You know, you're, you're at Monza, you're with various uh, racing drivers, two and four wheel, um, you know, the logo on cars. It's, it's spectacularly good. But I think also people just get a bit like, a bit envious, you know, ooh, look, you know, that, look at that guy's logo. Oh, why haven't I got that? Um, you know, and it is visible. Before I came on with you. Uh, with the Formula One team who want me for next year. Uh, Formula One's massive, and it obviously, as you know, it costs a lot of money. Um, but the eyeballs and everything else. But the good thing with that particular deal is that they are after me because they've been following mm. the brand through social media. Yeah. They know that it's a great fit for what they do. And so to be even asked is wonderful because that, that means they trust you, right? Because Formula One's all about brands. It's all about integrity. Well, We've already discussed integrity, but it's all about the integrity of the brand and who they're associated with. We talk about Rich Energy and a few other people. Yeah. You know, you, you don't want people like that back in again. Um, yeah. I, I probably have a caveat to say, allegedly, with all the, the Rich Energy thing, but you've got to be so careful with your partners. But to be asked to come into Formula One, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not actively seeking to go into it, but these guys are all over me saying, we really want you on board. And you don't do four hour, and I've done about six of them now, you know, two to four hour Zoom calls to discuss what this deal is. So the brand has grown massively, but unless I can make money out of it, I don't have a checkbook to give you. So, you know, if you ask me for a tenner, I'll go, sod you, I'm not, I don't have that. I don't have the money. Right? Ask me for a tenner, you ain't going to get it. But if you say to me, this is what we can do. We can make you 100,000 or we can make you 50,000 but it's going to cost you X amount to do it. And this is how the business plan is. There's a B2B in the background. You know, there's all sorts of things that are going. There's a web of stuff underneath. The final thing is to say that we've done a deal as a sticker on the car. If somebody just says, I'll give you a sticker on the car, that to me is not a deal because that doesn't no. sell watches. No. So every time you see our logo, there's a web of deals that are happening underneath it, all confidential, which is creating cash for the company to go and invest and move forward. So I, I never write a checkout for a sticker. I never write a checkout for a logo. No. It's got to be a B2B deal in the background. Yeah, no, fair play to you. I mean, it's... it's I, a... I've, I've got a... Sorry, Tim, I've got Go a quick question. Kind of for both of you as well, actually, because obviously you both, you know, Tim, obviously you're on the, the sponsorship side. As an industry, is motorsport a good place for advertisers, just to, broadly speaking, like compared to maybe other sports, compared to other you know, areas you where ever you watched can advertise. One, looked at a logo on the side of the car and gone onto the web and work out who they are. I have. I have. Sometimes. But that's because you're, you're slightly invested in it, Tim. Yeah, but, uh, but I, I think on the whole... Yeah, but to your point, I think on the whole, people don't. And I actually had this discussion with someone today about media value and, um, you know, do, do, do those visible logos actually have any impact on the bottom line? And, and the answer really is probably no, but it does provide continuity. But but I think if you use the platform correctly, it is a valuable place to be um, if you know what your objectives are. If you're going into it with, with your eyes open and you know that, you know, if you're in Formula E and you want to focus on climate change and sustainability and CSR and STEM and all this sort of stuff, you can use motorsport to, to tick those boxes. If you're going into it as a badging exercise, like we used to do in the um, in the 80s, 90s, even into the the early 20s, uh, 10s, 
um, then it, it's not going to work for you. So I think as long as you know what you're doing and go into it with your eyes open, it's it's a hugely valuable place to be. Yeah. It's like we're, we're doing Lamar next year. Um, and I've got three partners that are coming in with me um, to help me uh, put the team together. I've actually gone to both, all three companies and said, I'm going to make you 200 grand next year extra on your bottom line profit, but you have to give me 30% of it. And immediately they said, yeah, cool, we're in. Unless you underwrite the deal, you can't just say, I need, I need 60 grand for a sticker. So going back to your original question, is it great for advertising? It is, but only when there's a deal done in the background. Uh, and, and, and until you understand the economics of how motorsport works, um, then I hate it when people just say to me, you know, you can be on ITV4 and your logo will be seen. Your logo won't be seen on ITV4. And even if you've got the biggest logo on the car, generally speaking, unless it's like you and me, Tim, where we're always wondering who that person is and what, who's behind it and what they're doing, nobody sits there and goes online to look at the product. Yeah. So, X telephones or X fuels or whatever, you're just there watching the racing. So it's a great place to for the continuity, like you said, but you've got to have a B2B in the background. Yeah. And if you haven't, then it's you're wasting your money. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. Well, listen, Shami, we've um, we've already taken up a, a very quick 45 minutes of your time. So we're going to start winding it down. But there are three final questions that we ask all of our guests. And these are brought to us by our friends and sponsors at F1 Experiences. Uh, don't forget, people, go to f1experiences.com. When you check out, enter the code MMPODCAST to get your tidy little 5% discount on their packages. Um, Shami, feel free to use that one for yourself. Um, <laughs> I'll kick off this week uh, with the first one. Shami, what's got you excited at this very moment, motorsport, business-wise, or anything else? Um, we have got some fantastic conversations going on for next year in the business. It's humbling. It's almost um, a rabbit in the headlights where, hold on a second, Actually, being invited to stuff like this really excites me. Oh, stop. I, no, seriously, I'm <laughs> the, the endorsement to be asked to do stuff like this, I never take it for granted because you feel I'm interesting enough to just to be spoken to. It, it, it does excite me. But next year's growth pattern, next year's designs and partnerships, I'm really excited about it. Awesome. And, and I'll tell you what, the amount of uh, questions we had planned, I mean, we've got through less than half. That shows how well the uh, well the chat... This could have easily been a two-hour pod, no yeah, doubt. Um, next question, Shabby. In terms of your achievement, your success, um, what proportion do you put down to kind of luck, right place, right time versus classic hard graft? Well, you know what luck is, right? Preparation and opportunity. So if you prepare... So you prepare all your life to be a bricklayer, but you never get a job. And suddenly there's a big skyscraper that needs to be built and you, you bump into somebody. If somebody said to you, oh, can you do me a brick wall and I'll give you a million quid? I don't know how to build a brick wall. <laughs> if I learn how to build a brick wall and then I met somebody with a million quid, people say, oh, you're lucky. No, you're not. You learn how to be a bricklayer. So all my life, it's taken me to the, I'm um, 52 now. It took me until 45 to become an overnight success. So I've prepared all my life, right? Motorsport, the knowledge of motorsport, the relationships and everything, and then putting my um, my uh, trade with motorsport, and then it clicked together. So um, it, it's it's not it's not luck; it's preparation and then opportunity. So that so luck is great, but um, one thing I always tell people as well, and I won't waffle on, is that you've got to show up. 
doesn't matter what it's for, whether it's a Sunday morning car meet or whether at the Autosport Awards on Sunday night, um, you just got to make yourself known because the more often people see you, the more they'll start trusting you, especially in motorsport. Mm. And, you know, if you had a heavy night on a Saturday and you don't go to some opportunity, you never know who you're going to meet. You just never know who you're going to meet. I met Roger Penske twice because I went to a dinner at the RAC club and I made myself known to him. And I met him again at the Autosport Awards on Sunday night. And I literally barged my way through and said, hey, Roger, we've met again. He goes, oh, I remember you. Uh, because you, you, you make your own luck by making sure that people see you. And if you're not visible, then, then well, then you'll disappear, right? Couldn't, couldn't agree more. Wise, and, wise uh, words. And we'll be seeing more of Penske because he's now in Formula E. So uh, hopefully being seeing seeing him uh, in, the, uh, in yeah. the paddocks around yeah. here. Um, final one for you. What are you scared of? I'm scared that I launch a watch and everyone hates it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, when we launch a watch and I've, and I've spent months designing and you're mostly invested, sometimes you can't see whether it's good or not. So I have two guys behind me who have nothing to do with motorsport, but they love watches. And they're my biggest critics. Yeah. So I'll, I'll send it off to them. It's like pulling your trousers down on the first date. <laughs> <laughs> like, you just don't know what's going to happen. Which never ends uh, well. I wouldn't uh, just don't pull your trousers down on the first date. It's just a t- <laughs> terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, uh, oh, isn't the date? <laughs> <laughs> Just don't put them down. Um, okay, well, I've got one more for you that I, I wanted to ask. That, uh, just really quickly, um, money's no object. What's your holy grail watch? You can't say one of your own ones. No, no. Um, oh, that's a tough one. I did think about it. I did see the question earlier, actually, and I thought, what, what do I give you? Um, I think the Patek Philippe Aquanaut. Yes, good choice. Uh, watch i love the stainless steel version of it there i say only fourteen thousand, but you can't get one so you may as well be a million quid yeah but but i thought i love that watch i think it's really nice it's very understated very cool yeah yeah Yeah. i'd go nautilus so uh we're we're in a similar world similar world they are they are wonderful Um, yeah shami what 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 a lovely chat like tom says i mean we've we've got through half of what we wanted we're gonna have to there's so many people we need to have round two with um there's there's so much more still to talk about but really interesting to have something a little bit different this week and and um you know touch on motorsport and cars and everything else but love talking about the watches um it's a it's a whole um mad crazy world all in itself and there's there's so much to discuss there but um thank you for taking the time out of your evening to talk to us all the best for the future sounds like 2023 is going to be a big year for you so we'll be keeping an eye on it and uh, and hopefully we'll see you trackside soon thanks for joining us you're both gents. Thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you. Before you go, one final reminder to check out F1 Experiences, the official experience, hospitality, and travel program of Formula One. F1 Experiences is the closest you can get to the sport. Official ticket packages, which include the best race tickets, first-class hotels, travel, and exclusive behind-the-scenes access across a Grand Prix weekend. F1 Experiences offer packages like no other. So, to book your F1 Experiences package, head online to f1experiences.com and if you enter the code MMPODCAST, you'll get 5% off 
as well. Thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at Motormouth underscore, Instagram at Motormouth underscore official and Facebook, just search Motormouth. You can also download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MNTV, create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. We're also proud to be supporting the Brain Tumor Charity too, so make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumors quicker don't forget to like subscribe and review and until next time you've been listening to the motormouth podcast planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.